What junk food can't you get enough of? For me, it's a long list. Thank goodness I run. I think that's why I run. I love Oreos. Here lately, I've been eating those little pretzel, smashed up pretzel things that are like seasoned with honey mustard or whatever. Love them. Can't get enough. Should get some advertising dollars for these mentions. Although I guess categorizing them as junk food probably doesn't help. (laughs) What if you went to the grocery store and you're an Oreo person like me and you walk down the cookie aisle. By the way, every time I think or see a cookie aisle, I always think of Richard Simmons who said that the cookie aisle should be the narrowest aisle in the grocery store. (laughs) If you can't get down it, then you shouldn't be there. Anyway, what if you walked down the cookie aisle and there was a government agent guarding the Oreos? Maybe they were from like the Drug Enforcement Agency or something. And they said, you know, ma'am or sir, you've had your allotment of Oreos for the day or for the week or whatever. We're going to need you to head over to the produce section. Actually, we'd like you to jog over. If it were me, of course, I'd say I'd have a follow-up question. Does this apply to double stuff too? (laughs) So today we're talking about just a mishmash of just American, and I'll say European. We have lots of folks from Europe and and Asia uh, that listen. It kind of applies to all of us, but just this mishmash of government oversight and health and uh, just all kinds of just messy things that come with society and capitalism and whatever. So in 1964, the Surgeon General, for the first time ever, issued a report about the negative impact of smoking. It was the first time. And it was done on a Saturday, purposely to mitigate the effects of that report on the stock market, as well as hit the Sunday papers. And it did. It did hit the Sunday paper. There was a bombshell. You know, leading up to that time, first of all, 42% of the population smoked during that time. I don't know how they even read the paper. There must have been so much smoke in the air. Good grief. But at that time as well, there was a Gallup survey done a few years before that and found that only 44% of Americans believed smoking caused cancer. So this committee, led by the Surgeon General, cited 7,000 research studies that looked at the detrimental impact of smoking on health. And the population responded to that. So in 1958, only 44% of Americans thought that smoking caused cancer. Ten years later, that number went up to 78% thought that smoking caused cancer. And we've seen the rate of smoking decline. It was up, I think it hit a peak of 45%. You can Google this and see lots of data on it. But I think the peak was 45% in the 50s, and now we're in the teens for the most part. Now, there's lots of other things that have occurred that have caused this. Um, Lots of government regulation. There have been, you know, the sad story of like the Marlboro Man who ended up getting 
sick from smoking and those different types of things that have happened. But this notion of knowledge and information certainly helped in 1964 look at this element of smoking and have people think twice about it. So you think about that in terms of Instagram. Instagram right now has several lawsuits right now that are from parents of mostly teenagers who have contracted some element of an eating disorder and the parents and their attorney are blaming Meta, which is the parent company of both Facebook and Instagram. And mainly this is an Instagram story. And, you know, those parents are arguing that the platform was feeding these, I would say children, but these teenagers, images of individuals that was detrimental to their self-esteem and caused these eating disorders. And it makes you think about, okay, what is Instagram's responsibility? Now, for the most part, Instagram has said, well, you know, that's just kind of society. That's just, we're not a societal, we're, we're, we are a mirror of what society is. It's not our fault. Well, where do you sit when it comes to that? I mean, that's a, that's a compelling argument, right? I mean, no different than me talking about Oreos, which, by the way, the obesity rate is, in some cases, you know, the data is in the 30s in the United States, 35% of Americans are obese, and we know the detrimental impacts of obesity, and heart disease, we're not, we're not banning that, right? What's the responsibility of whoever makes Oreos? I assume, assume it's Nabisco. What is their responsibility? What is the responsibility of Jack Daniels? They're making a product that could lead to behaviors that would go against individuals' health. They do all the time. Every day, you could make the argument, getting into whether you're getting into you know DUIs or getting into alcoholism or whatever else. But you can also make that argument with a lot of other products too, right? If if they're not consumed in moderation, there could be detrimental effects. So so how far do you go there? If you think that these companies are responsible, then what do you do? How do you handle that? Capitalism, by definition, is an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit rather than by the state. That's one of the things that always gets us moving forward economically. That's what spurs innovation is this notion where an, in, uh, an individual can 
create a new idea or achieve something and sell it and have profit. That's what capitalism is. Now, some people are in the middle and say, well, capitalism is great, but it needs to have some guardrails. And we see guardrails all the time. So we go back to this notion of Oreos, or just foods in general. In fact, we, 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 I cited something a few episodes ago about calorie counts. And now you see that. And there's lots of data that suggests that sometimes it helps, sometimes it doesn't. But if you go into a lot of different places, a lot of different restaurants, you will see the calorie count. You will see the calorie count on the side of a box of Oreos. The serving sizes are ridiculous. I don't know what the Oreo one is, but you look at some of these things, you know, it's like potato chips. They'll say, well, serving size is, size is you know, one chip. And it's only 20 calories. Only 20 calories per, ser- per serving. Come on. We are smarter than that, I hope. But where's the line here of this notion of where government would need to get involved? So some of you would say, maybe I made a compelling case already on this side that government shouldn't be involved. And... I'm not sure, going back to this this study in 1964 that had 7,000 research, it was this report that had 7,000 research studies that it cited, I don't know that we have 7,000. Now, I know lots of researchers that listen to this and may counter that, but I don't believe we do. So some people think, so that's one issue. The second issue is, some people look at this notion the same way that they would look at smoking or drinking when it comes to children, when it comes to minors. You cannot sell alcohol to minors. There's different ages in different states and whatnot. I think smoking is universally the same, um, but that is designed to protect children with the implicit assumption that children are not able to make those decisions on their own. So they don't get access to it, right? So should we be doing the same thing for children when it comes to social media, when it comes to Instagram? How would you do that? I I sometimes go towards this notion of the word predatory when I think about these things. You know, issues of, you know, there's, there are lots of laws and regulations when it comes to things like predatory lending, right? And rightfully so. It's difficult to not suggest that these social media platforms are not predatory in nature, right? Whether it's, you know, even looking at just the algorithms alone that are feeding people what it is that they want to see, right? The algorithm is constantly feeding to keep you on, to keep you engaged. We've seen that from a political perspective. You know, people want to say all these things about, you know, why we have this huge rift 
politically? Well, part of it is because we're not hearing the other side. We are being fed exactly what it is that we want to hear, and we've talked about confirmation bias lots of lots of different times. But this notion of predatory, we're you know, that these platforms are being predatory in nature in really targeting everyone's attention. But when we go back to this idea of a distinction between an adolescent or a minor and an adult, it makes sense. It makes sense to say there needs to be some regulation to protect children. And we have that precedent already, as I mentioned. Section 230 of the Communications Act was designed in the 90s and it came from it came from this notion that platforms would basically put content on there and they weren't really responsible for what's on it outside of things that were you know sexual in nature or you know several different categories of things but for the most part these platforms, which later was social media, and 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 it's important to note that yes, this the Section two hundred and thirty of the Communications Act was written before Facebook and Instagram came along, and that's a huge thing because it's almost impossible to argue that, uh, or possible to, to to refute the notion that the people that wrote Section two hundred and thirty in Washington. Was, surely weren't thinking about the impact and size and nature of what social media was going to be, you know, seven or 10 years after that. And I write about this in the book and interview people that know far more about it than I do. But essentially what we have there is this notion of social media, are they a publisher or are they a platform? And, you know, there are many people would argue, well, look, people are posting things on there. They're just merely a platform and there's an element of free speech. And it's really, really important that people have free speech and it not be impacted in any way. And on the other side, you have people who say, well, wait a minute, you can't have false things on the internet. Somebody has to be responsible for that. And who's it going to be? Now, incidentally, both sides of the aisle, the right side tends to think about the element of free speech more, I'm painting with a broad brush, but not too much broader than what it actually is. The left side says there's misinformation here and someone has to be responsible. Neither side is happy right now because the platforms or publishers or whatever you want to call them, we're just going to call them social media platforms, are kind of riding in the middle because they have done things beyond just elements of what's sexually explicit um, to moderate content. We saw that with COVID-19 misinformation. We saw that with the former president being banned from Twitter and a number of other different things that were, that were posted and, and labeled as false. So the right says, well, you're, <clears throat> pardon me, you're impacting free speech. The left says you're missing all kinds of other stuff. You're, you're missing all of the stuff related to January 6th and the misinformation about the election, and it goes way back beyond that. You know, we could talk about COVID now, but, but you know, years and years before that, where we've had more and more misinformation. And we talk about kind of why that happens. I'll just do a brief overview of that. I always use the analogy of the, if you have a group of people 
who are together on social media and they have a similar political background, right? You want to find ways to get attention within that group. So my analogy is always the gym. If you are lifting weights with a bunch of other bodybuilders, the way to get the most attention is to lift the most weight. The way to get the most attention on a platform of people who are left wing or right wing or whatever it is, is to have the most radical view to have or have or post news that's that's shocking and false or just shocking in general whether it's true or false doesn't matter. So when you get into those bubbles filter bubbles then you get more and more of of those ra- of elements of radicalization and radicalization can be you know that's a word that's usually used when it comes to serious 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 things but there's an element of just you know, polarizing the country because we're kind of one-upping each other within these groups. So both sides, as I said, both, so both sides of the, 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 the aisle aren't happy about this. Where does that responsibility sit for, the, for these platforms, these social media platforms? And that's a, individually, I think all of us have to make a decision regarding what we think is important and then we need to be vocal about it. We need to we need to call our congressperson and say, here's where I sit with this. Because it's obvious now what's being done isn't working. And there are lots of great researchers, lots of great colleagues of mine, as well as myself, who are working in this space and saying, look, we're seeing issues here. We're seeing issues of loneliness. And you could argue chicken or egg on that, but Certainly, we, we see an association of social media use and loneliness and elements of health, whether it's body mass index or anxiety and depression and whatnot. We're starting to see a lot of emerging trends. And I'm not going to predict that there's going to be 7,000 studies like there were in 1964 relative to tobacco, but there's, we, I think we can all say that what we're doing now is not working and we need to make some changes and we need to be vocal about it. We need to, wherever we sit in the aisle, we need to say, this isn't working and we need to make a change. And so when you read about section 230 and it's always in the news, you know, this is, this is what, what, what they're talking about there. And the element of where you sit relative to where children and eating disorders go, it's, there's an opportunity to put guardrails potentially to keep capitalism moving forward in a way that that works for everybody. My attempt to be to show to demonstrate both sides of this argument. Hopefully, I did that. Um, we'll see. Send me an email and uh, let me know what you think. I want to mention that the NUM podcast is supported by WeLearn. WeLearn is on a mission to help organizations build better humans through learning. It provides a full range of services to assist its partners in building world-class learning and a world-class workforce. WeLearn is also the recipient of three coveted bronze Brandon Hall Group Awards. Check out their blog for content on learning, development, training, and more at welearnls.com slash blog. That's welearnls.com slash blog.
This is a numb podcast. I'm Dr. Charles Chafin. That'll just about do it for this episode of the Numb Podcast. But before we go, I should probably mention Becky was a beauty from South Alabama. Her daddy had a heart like a nine pound hammer. I think it's supposed to be Hama to rhyme with Alabama. I totally botched that line. Got lots of um, emails about including country music on the last episode. So I wanted to, well, I guess I wanted to get more positive reinforcement. You could think about me as like one of Skinner's pigeons. If you've listened to that episode, that song, by the way, was uh, what, I, what, what Was I Thinking by Dirks Bentley. You can get the Numb Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Audible, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you get it through Apple Podcasts, I hope you'll leave me a review. Uh, I'm going to share one email. Um, been sending lots of emails back to folks that really appreciate the, the, um, just some of the individual notes, and some of them I don't, I'm not able to read on the air, but um, I try to respond to most of them. Um, yeah, there's a few that I don't respond to that I don't, well, anyway. All right, so the, uh, this email is from Chris in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And Chris writes, I see you're a Michigan grad. Oh, you've been doing some internet sleuthing, have you, Chris? That is true. I, I did a master's there. Uh, you should come back to our state sometime soon. I agree. I add parenthetically. I started taking small breaks from my phone every day based upon your suggestion. It has helped. I find that during that time, I'm thinking about other things and stuff like yard work take less time because I'm not checking and rechecking my phone. Well, that makes a lot of sense, right? If you're not texting every five minutes, you can actually get the grass cut, Chris. I'm right there with you. It is a habit I hope to keep. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Well, Chris, I appreciate that. And that's that's absolutely true. In a lot of cases, as we've talked about many, many times, um, if we start small and we see that it's working, then we can maybe expand. So starting small might be, you know, 15 minutes away from our phone or 20 minutes or whatnot. And then we expand that to a point that's going to work for us. It's going to make us where we feel like we're more productive and creative, and yet we're still as connected as we as we need to be. So thank you for that, Chris. And I agree, I need to come back to Michigan uh, sometime soon. So I, I uh, totally agree with that. I should mention that the audio engineer for the Num Podcast is Tim Dolbear, and the music is written and report, uh, recorded by the great Jim Torito. Uh, finished a couple of books and um, given a couple talks, so have been a little slow uh, getting these uh getting these episodes dropped, but we'll get back into a routine. I have gotten a lot of emails about that. Um, and I really appreciate that. I appreciate people complaining that they want more episodes. That's better than the alternative, right? Just, you know, you could email and say, I don't want any more episodes. Please stop. Um, although I guess people would just unsubscribe. But nevertheless, I appreciate those emails and we'll get back on a more regular schedule here in the, in the next several weeks. And with that, I say... If you're not where you are, you're nowhere. See you later.